But if you were of our world, Mr. Ashner, you would understand that as the star's coach, it reflects on her that I'm stuffed into some room. I'll see what I can do. It's not for myself, believe me. I didn't even mention it to her. She'd be so furious. But if we want to work on a scene, and God forbid her sweetie's not made up yet, we end up in my room, with one of us sitting on the bed like an immigrant and the other on the floor. I mean, can you imagine Garble learning lines on a floor? It's an unprofessional insult to her. I'll see what I can... Fine. A corner suite, so I have light. But for instance, the car. I mean, you asked me for examples. Not in ten years have I coached a star. What am I talking about? A star? An actor? Any actor? Where I wasn't provided with a car and a chauffeur. But I believe I saw some bills Finally, sure. I could threaten to quit the picture till Billy McGuire got me one. But why couldn't you share Kitty's limousine? But is that the way on a first-class film? But don't you ride together to the location every morning? To go over the lines together. So why do you need another limousine? So I'm independent. It's not that I use it that much, but there's a principle here. I can see that. (laughs) You're a real woman of principle, Flora. Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman, and today I'm really excited to be talking to Phil Wilmot, who's the director of Finishing the Picture, Arthur Miller's last play, which has never been performed before, I think in Europe. Is that right, Phil? Uh, Yes, there was one previous production in Chicago uh, just before Miller died, uh, and it 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 was a big stage, spectacular production, all cast up, ready to transfer to Broadway. Um, but uh, the reviews were disappointing, and the Broadway transfer didn't happen. But when you, uh, but going to the play now, um, sort of 20 years later, uh, certainly after the whole Me Too, Weinstein scandal, um, it's become incredibly pertinent because it's about how uh, Marilyn Monroe was treated on the set of The Misfits. Um, and it's a perfect example of, uh, I think, before Me Too, how um, female stars would be uh, treated um, as objects. They are desperate to finish the filming on The Misfits. She is, uh, she's held herself up in a hotel room. She's very troubled. She's um, on all sorts of chemicals. And the men, it's mostly men, uh, have to decide what to do to solve the problem. But what they never do, uh, it doesn't even occur to them, is ask Marilyn, or the Marilyn character. Um, so it's a, it's a really fantastic snapshot of why Me Too is important. Yes, I, funnily enough, I sort of looked at what it was about, and I thought that, I mean, I started thinking about Judy Garland and all these people who are, in many ways, victims of the star system, but they tend to be women, as you yeah. say. So I could see exactly that it must be really relevant today. And you're, They're sort of thinly disguised then, aren't they? Is she called Kitty, is that right? Uh, yes, they all have different names, but Miller, of course, denied that it was about any of these people. Uh, but the characters very clearly... Well, they're, they're very similar to Miller himself, um, John Houston, the director... Um, the Strasbergs, uh, the acting coaches of the Strasbourg, which who Miller obviously clearly detested and has a lot of fun with in the play. Um, so even though they've got uh, fictitious names, it's kind of clear who on the set of The Misfits they represent. Yes. 
Uh, we meet them in the extracts that you very kindly, and you and your castle kindly recorded for me. So, so tell me about this the larger than life woman we have just met. Um, well, uh, that's Flora, who one can imagine is based on Paula Strasberg. Uh, she had an extraordinary um, position on the set in that uh, we, we know from the play that her, her salary is almost as high as Marilyn's. Marilyn um, had to have Paula or Flora, she's called in the play, let's say Flora. Flora was with her. Flora had, had to, uh, as you heard in the clip, she insists on a big room in case uh, Kitty, the Monroe figure, wants to run lines. She has to have her own chauffeur. So um, this woman, Flora, based on Paula Strasberg, sort of threads her way through the play, usually getting on everyone's nerves and being ridiculous. And what about the Lee Strasberg figure? In this clip, Jerome, the Lee Strasberg figure, is uh, trying to inspire Kitty, the Marilyn Monroe figure, with a description of this, uh, this magnificent actress. Uh, he's comparing her to this magnificent actress and the hope it will inspire her. What is important about Eleanor Adu's? Not the greatest beauty, you realize. Beautiful, yes, but not extraordinary. A voice, yes, but again, not outstanding. What was it, Kitty? What made this ordinary, not ordinary in the ordinary sense, but she could walk down the street without people turning to look, this was no, no model, no movie star. Not that a movie star can't be extraordinary in the sense of sensitivity, but do's, do's, listen. The woman could sit alone on a stage, alone, mind you, in an ordinary dress and shawl with no lines, not a word coming out of her mouth, Kitty and just sit there motionless. Motionless, Kitty, simply staring into space and have her audience in tears. People moaning with sadness, people, people swaying from side to side as they joined with her, Kitty, joined with this human being in her spiritual isolation. You understand? Her existential loneliness was stripped naked to the world. So what is the point? Why do we revere this Italian woman, this woman of Italy with an ordinary voice and face and so on and so on? What accounts for the incredible hold she's had on people of the theater for something like a hundred years? People go around saying, do's this, do's that. It's all nonsense. We revere this woman, Kitty, because she was an artist. He is, he's sort of had his heyday. There's a lot of skepticism about him. He's getting a bit tired, a bit cynical. I mean, Miller's sort of saying he's an old fraud who's just in it for the money. Um, so it's not a very sympathetic portrayal. Uh, and he comes in and uh, uh, pumps up this actress full of sort of grandiose, strange, weird ideas, um, which the poor director, John Houston, then has to kind of unpick to get any kind of performance out of his star. That's very interesting because it's almost as if that's more of the drugs. You said pump up, which is a, 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 a good way of saying so she's pumped up with drugs, but she's also pumped up with these received opinions that she's been going with, presumably. Yeah, uh, she would lock herself, uh, she would be locked up in a room with uh, her, her acting coach, um, the, the next day, probably, she only had like half a dozen lines to deliver, but the acting coach 
would make her stay up all night and relive childhood traumas and cry and um, in order to motivate these lines. Uh, it's, it's no wonder that the poor woman um, was taking overdoses. And to my mind, that equates with another phenomenon that we're only just recognising, which is a, a sort of abuse, which is a control being an abuse. Mm. And it sounds to me as if that's an abuse that Miller's looking at as well, predicting. It's, it's really fascinating to consider what Miller was trying to say. Um, it, it, it amazes me at the, this, this great giant of 20th century playwriting at the end of his life was not writing about the nature of fate, destiny in the universe. He's writing this play about how irritating it was to be on a film set with Marilyn Monroe. So it clearly uh, haunts him. And I, I suspect that when he wrote the play, because uh, uh, there's a character based on Miller as well, I think we were supposed to come out and go, oh, poor Arthur, how much you suffered. But actually, seeing it now, we can tell that all those men, including the, the Miller character, are, are bullying her, are abusing her, are making money out of her. So whether we, whether we get the same message that Miller intended, I don't know. However, he is a genius, um, like all great plays, the meaning of the play. Uh, changes in whatever period you present it. Um, but what I think was intended to be a sympathetic portrayal of the tortured art, the tortured playwright on the film set, has become, with our modern sensibilities, a portrayal of the tortured um, movie star on the film set. What about his marriage? Because that's there as well. I mean, he's it, it's quite brave of him to presumably you, you see the marriage disintegrating as well. You do. It's sort of disint it has disintegrated um, really before the play starts. So um, I, I mean, we can imagine being stuck in a hotel in a desert for months on end with your wife that you don't get on with. Um, the other thing to say is that Miller. Either Miller and or the other men in the play are so disinterested in uh, the movie star, the Marilyn figure's opinion, that she doesn't, you don't actually see her in the play. Um, in the original stage direction, uh, Miller writes in um, um, a stage direction where uh, she crosses the stage naked. Um, in, in all consciousness, I... I I couldn't recruit an actress just to walk across the stage naked mm. once a year. But actually, to not even have that, it, it just shows how powerless she is and how ignored she is. Um, so uh, I think that's going to be quite interesting for people that the Monroe figure never appears. And because of that, I, I don't think it's him writing an analysis of his marriage, because if it was, she would be in there, she would have lines, they would have discussions. Um, I think it's about um, how he suffered from the Marilyn effect, as it were, how the impact it had on him. And do you think people coming to see it will realize that she's not going to be in it? <laughs> um, no, they might not. I think it will uh, surprise them. Mm. Great coup de théâtre, really. It sort of is. Um, the, the second half of the 
um, the first half of the play is sort of the production office um, at Moss. They're discussing what the hell to do. And then the second half of the play, uh, rather brilliantly, it's often, it's sort of one character at a time at her bedside, talking to her, trying to get her to, to get out of bed. But you, ne you never see her and you never hear her. He, Miller um, writes it so that the characters react to what she's saying, but the audience don't see her. You know what? Somebody, I think some sort of a psychiatrist would and, and psychoanalyze him as to why he didn't put her in it. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. You know, I can't decide whether it's art or whether it's psychosis on his part, but it, well, it sounds like a brilliant idea. If, if we give him the, the benefit of the doubt, which we must because he was a genius, um, if he had put Marilyn in it, that would have dominated everything. It would be a play about mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe, but it's not. It's a play about the phenomenon by which the movie industry, mostly men, create this out of control, uh, almost freak, and then have no idea what to do with her. And you just, as you watch it, you're screaming, why don't you just ask her what she wants? But they never do. And what about the fact that the, the Strasbourgs, presumably they're both Jewish, um, and, and before we started recording, we were talking about a little bit about you know, the concept of Jewish mafias, but um, what with Miller being Jewish as well, the, the film industry is very, and the acting industry is kind of... There are a lot of Jews in it at this time, be just because I suppose there's an awful lot of immigrants who've mm. fled over the previous generations. It's, it's, it's actually never... It, uh, interestingly, it's never an issue. It's never brought up, so I think it, it is just accepted. Um, I mean, as, as you alluded to, we, we know that... Uh, the film industry was um, created from outsiders and immigrants um, in a desert in the middle of nowhere, experimenting because they hadn't, you know, they almost have nothing else. There's no other way of making a living. So I think by the time uh, The Misfits was filmed, it, it was filmed, it was just, it was just a given. Mm -hmm. Certainly doesn't, certainly Miller doesn't consider it worth even referencing. Mm -hmm. The other thing he doesn't reference, <laughs> interestingly, is that um, while they were on the film set during the, during the course of this action, he was sort of, if not having an affair, that he, his, his fut Miller's future wife was um, a, a photographer hired to take portraits of Marilyn on the film set. Anyway, Arthur didn't mention that. <laughs> ah, but she's not in the play then, obviously. No, she's not in the play. She's not even referenced. So I wonder if Marilyn was, was sensing that as well, that he was... Falling for this this other woman. Well, that's it's a great question for speculation, and perhaps somebody else should, should write the play of that. It sounds to me as if somebody should also screen the Misfits. <laughs> oh yes, to to watch the Misfits, having read or seen the play, is revelatory. When you know that mm -hmm. she wasn't compass mentis half the time, and they had to shoot over her shoulder, and um, there's a description that the cinematographer gives about how he shoots her. And it's, I think maybe it was funny when it was first performed, but now it's quite upsetting. He says, um, uh, basically, she's just skin and arse. If you, if you photograph the arse properly and you photograph her skin properly, that's... And when you, when you watch the film and you know that was his thinking, it's fascinating. But um, the other thing which has fascinated all of us, because uh, none of us have particularly seen The Misfits recently, is just how fantastic she is. She is luminously beautiful. Um, it's almost like, 
she's in colour and the rest of the film is in black and white. And also, um, he wrote some, Miller wrote some incredibly cruel lines for her to say um, about the, the nature of marriage and trust going out of the marriage. And um, I mean, imagine writing those lines for your wife to say. Uh, so, very interesting. Well, you really ought to try and organise a screening. Perhaps it could become a massive event at BFI or something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be great. You know, with, with you doing the play as well. Yeah, yeah. And then a Q&A. I, I predict this. Yes. No, very okay. nice idea. <laughs> do it. Anyway, I must let you go because you've got a lot more rehearsing to do. But um, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I can't wait to see the play now. Oh, good. No, well, it's always a pleasure. Thank mm. you.